Detention Library Agents. This is Agent Bellerophon. As you know, the library recently suffered a catastrophic cave-in. We've just learned that darling DJ duo Musical Mercenaries has successfully managed to rescue Agent Blue Stocking from the collapsed bunker. Blue Stocking has been successfully relocated to a secure location and will begin transmitting momentarily. Your faith and patience are greatly appreciated as we continue the fight for literary freedom. No one here can do what you want to do, but it's not that strong. No one here can do what you want to do, but it's not that strong. You can go, do you know? And you can go. Freedom Fighters, and welcome to the Steampunk Dollhouse. My name is Blue Stocking, and I will be your librarian and your host for the next hour. If you are a returning listener, you have my eternal thanks for continuing to tune in. If this is your first time in the Dollhouse, please come in, have a seat, get settled in. But please be aware that this show is by necessity overflowing with spoilers. So if that's going to be an issue, I would suggest that you turn back now. Read the books that we're going to be talking about before you continue, and it is okay, I promise. I will be here when you get back. All right. Wow. Welcome back, guys. (laughs) Um, It has been a hot minute since we've had an actual episode. I believe it was July of last year that I actually discussed any books, really. Uh, Then I checked in with you guys after my trip to England... And then I fell off the radar, and I apologize for that. Um, essentially, what happened was my final semester of library school, uh, on the face of it, should have not been that big of a deal. My, my last two classes were not hard um, by design. They were supposed to be incredibly easy classes, and they actually were incredibly easy classes, but as with everything in my life, I tend to make things harder than they should be. Um, and I also had to do my final exam, uh, which turned out to be a lot easier than I thought it would be. And, um, my practicum, which was a breeze. So looking back on it, the semester was great. (laughs) But like I said, I think it's, when I have no stress, I stress over the fact that I don't have stress and that makes everything worse. But at the same time, I was also taking the GRE in order to get accepted to PhD school, which I have been. I think I posted that on the, the doll- I know I posted that on my personal Twitter. I think I did share that on the Dollhouse Twitter as well, that I have been accepted to the PhD program in rhetoric for uh, spring 2019. So I will actually be starting that in a little over a week. Um, It'll be a week from tomorrow. And what that actually means... Oh, so yeah, um, before we move on to PhD school, I'm a librarian, guys. I am actually, really, honestly, the steampunk librarian now. Um, That was, without a doubt, one of the proudest moments of my life. Um... One of the best moments of my life. In a year full of really amazing moments. And it really was. I mean, Mr. Stocking and I stumbled across this incredible, tiny, crooked little house 
we got married. Um, I went to England, baby stocking graduated, and you know started big girl college, and I got my degree. I got a fucking master's degree, you guys. That was crazy. And if you haven't seen the pictures of my outfit, you need to go to my personal Twitter. Um, the link is, or my personal Instagram, it's Clockwork Librarian on Instagram. You need to go look at my outfit because it was really awesome. Um, and actually when I, when I went across the stage as I'm trying to hold my face together because I'm about to just burst into tears and we, whenever, you know, we go across and we shake the chancellor's hand as, you know, with our diploma and she leaned into me and she said, those are nice boots. (laughs) I'm like, thank you they're amazing boots um so it was it was an incredible moment I was riding high for so long but it was also one of those where there was a a bit of a crash afterwards that that I'd been everything that I had been doing for the last however six years or however many years everything was leading up to that moment the PhD is something else that's something additional but the master's degree in library science that's what it was all for. That's what everything has been for. And it was over, and it was a very, very strange feeling. It was very odd and hard to reconcile it. And I, I've gotten used to it now, and I, you know, I'm, start, I'm looking forward to this next phase. And what's going to happen here, um, I will continue my work at the, the TWU library. Uh, they're keeping me on as a graduate research assistant, which is awesome, um, in digital, where I've been so very happy. And I'm going to PhD school. I start, like I said, I start a week from tomorrow, taking three classes, and um, hopefully in three to five years, I will be Dr. Elizabeth Hedrick with a dissertation uh, about steampunk of some form or another. It's um, it's going to be a long road, <laughs> but this is integral to my goal of becoming an academic library director and preferably director of the Black Huey. You know, once the the current director decides to step down and move on, and you know she will eventually. Everybody does. Um, it's just what happens, and I will be there to apply and hopefully get that position. But with this PhD in rhetoric, it makes me a better candidate, and also gives me a better base for doing this, for doing this critical analysis. And that also goes the other way that all of this critical analysis that I've been doing is going to help when it comes to my PhD classes and writing my dissertation. So I actually, that is why I want to try to get back into doing this on a regular basis. Um, Because this is what I will be doing in most of my classes. Um, This kind of analysis, this kind of theory, and this kind of breakdown in the books that I am covering. If I can do the dissertation that I want to do, this will be incredibly important to that dissertation. So I am going to do my best to keep this going. Um, you know, it's it's going to be. I don't know. I don't. I have absolutely no idea what it's going to be like. So I can't even say because me, my library science classes, they were all online. I had no actual face to face classes, and in the end, the, the entire program is essentially on rails. Um, failure was going to be really difficult. I'm sure you can fail out of that program, but it wasn't going to be easy. Um, This is different. This is back to big girl college for me. This is back to actual face-to-face classes with people, which I am really looking forward to. But this is the kind of program where it's really going to make a difference. I mean, it's... 
I'm going to have to bust my ass. It's not going to be any more skating through and last minute bullshit. Um, this is a massive thing. This is a doctorate. So I don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, I'll still be working 20 hours a week in the mornings. Um, so we'll take it from there. I am going to try to post episodes every other Sunday, but I'm not going to make any promises, any guarantees. We will just have to see what happens. Um, and you'll also notice a few changes to the show, not the show itself, um, some of the branding and um, some of the, the credits and the tags are going to change a little bit in that I am now part of the Simply Adorkable Podcast Network, um, which was created by Emmett Davenport of the Clockwork Cabaret and associated other shows. She's trying to build up the network, and uh, they asked me to join, which was a massive fucking honor, considering that I've been listening to their show for a goddamn decade. Um, when I first really started getting heavily into steampunk, and I had just moved back to Texas, I didn't listen. I did, you know, I didn't really listen to podcasts. And then I started dating Mister Stocking, and he was very big on podcasts, and he had bought me an iPod, um, and. For a long time, I would say probably two years, the only podcast I listened to was the Clockwork Cabaret. And this was back when it was Emmett and Claude, and you know they still, I believe, did the radio show there in uh, North Carolina. And then they transitioned fully to just podcasting. But I admired them for so long, and then I started talking to them on Twitter, and then I did my own podcast, and became friends with them. And Ducky, uh, Lady Addercop's husband, sent me an adorable doll, pincushion doll for Christmas and they're just, they're incredible people um, and so now I'm part of their network and what that essentially means it, it's a broadening of what we have already been trying to do the last few years um, with the, the mutual uh, the mutually beneficial promotions you know, what we we've been, especially us you know, Clockwork Cabaret Steampunk Dollhouse, Texas Steampunk Connections, Steamrollers, uh, Storypunks. We're trying to support each other as heavily as we can and, you know, promos back and forth. Um, and I think it's worked out really well. Like I said, I kind of fell off the radar um, a little bit, and Texas Steampunk Connection can't always update as much as they want to either. But we've all tried to support each other um, in big and small ways. So some of my branding will have, well, my branding will change to, you know, Wind Up Girl Studios production and Simply Adore, the Simply Adorable Podcast Network. That is not easy to say. Um, but nothing else is really going to change. Now, um, if you want to know where that name came from, um, a while back, around the time that I first started uh, my show um, in Steam, or Clockwork Cabaret, I was being real supportive. And Mr. Stocking had gone in to review my show on iTunes, and then he went to review um, Clockwork Cabaret, and he said on his iTunes review that they were simply adorable. And they kept it, and they decided to use it. They liked it, and so that's where that came from. So we have all helped to build each other up in adorable ways. Um, so that's essentially where we're going from here. Um... I'm going to keep plugging along and doing what I can do. Now, this particular episode is uh, technically um, not a full, real episode. It's uh, a sequel, supplemental type thing. 
um, because I was, you know, dipping my toe back in, and also because I was trying to set this up as season two. Obviously, some things are different. The intro is different, um, and the the voice that you heard in the intro that would be uh, Eilish Phillips, who is an incredible and very tiny little person that I met at um, <laughs> Asylum Steampunk when I was there in August. She is just a goddamn powerhouse. Think, I, I think she can do everything. Um, she sings, she writes, she's a researcher. Um, she's just, she's a very cool lady, uh, and I'm very privileged to have gotten to spend some time with her. I wish I could have spent more time with her. Um, one of my regrets from Asylum, uh, I would love to have interviewed her, and I'm trying to entice her here somehow on a research trip, uh, trying to figure out how this could connect with her PhD so we can get her over here. And then I'll interview her, but she's, she's super cool. Um, and I've, like I said, I've been talking back and forth with her since I got back and had a lot of fun. Um, the link for her, her website is in the show notes, so go check her out. And you can also find her music on Spotify and it's very beautiful. She sent me a whole bunch of her CDs uh, a few months ago, and her music is very lovely. So go look her up. Um, and again, like I said, it's, some things have changed. I changed the intro and the outro music. I changed the the format a little bit, um, or not the format, but I changed. You know, wanted to freshen things up a little. And <laughs> as far as I, I'm assuming, most of you, if you're listening to this, you probably listened to the teaser that I put out a while back. <laughs> um, and what that was essentially, what that was an an audio um, analogy of what happened to me last semester when I played it for. For Mr. Stocking and Baby Stocking, Baby Stocking said, yeah, that pretty much sums up what happened to you last semester. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, that that encapsulates my breakdown in that uh, however long little teaser that was. Everything just kind of imploded and, you know. Imposter syndrome is real, yo. It's, it's a thing. Um, and my brain is, is like a lot of people. It's broken in odd and funny ways. I can know how well I've done and I can also look at myself and say, I don't know what I'm doing and I do not deserve to be here. Um, mental health is a bitch. It is. Um, you know, and, and you guys are familiar enough with me. If you've listened to my other episodes, you know the things that I've had to deal with and struggle with. The same that a lot, everybody does. And... Like I said, you know, I, I can know that I've done well in school. And I can also say, I think I fucked this up horribly. Um, even though a lot of times my work ends up being pretty good. Um, and I got accepted to, uh, there at the end of the semester, I was accepted to Beta Phi Mu, which is the library, the Librarian Honor Society, and what that is, when you get accepted to that, um, that is not something you can apply for. Uh, it is awarded in the final semester um, to the top 25% of the eligible graduating class. You have to have at least a 3.75 to be eligible. I graduated with 4.0. Um, and it was the only honor society. I, I've 
been accepted to a bunch of them, you know, non-traditional students and this and that. And, you know, I had the grades and I got accepted to them. And I'm thankful and privileged to have been brought into them. But this was the one that, this was the one that I was working for. This was the one that I had my eyes on and I got it. Um, and it has inspired a new tattoo that I'll be getting in a few months. <laughs> I'll post pictures of that when I get it. Um, so that's what's going on with me. <laughs> um, oh, and also, uh, I'm not going to cover really any current events in this intro, simply because there is just, <laughs> I can't. I think that was part of the other issue that I had last semester or with posting new episodes is that I've always tried to talk about what's going on in the world right now and current events and how it affects the things that we're talking about. Um, but dude, <laughs> this is bonkers. I cannot even begin to... Everything is insane. Everything is crazy. And I can't... I feel like I need to push restart. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how to go into that. Um, it's nuts. I mean, children dying in cages at the border and piles upon piles upon piles upon piles of evidence of people doing really bad things in our current administration and it, it doesn't change anything. Um, the Me Too movement seems to have lost some steam, but then new allegations come up all the time. Um, I just, I don't know, vaguely saw something about Drake fondling a 17-year-old girl on stage the other day. So, you know, that was weird and I just it's like all of these, I think my issue became that all of this stuff is coming out. And more and more and more, every rock that is picked up brings out more, but things aren't changing. Because for all of the old bad stuff that is being brought to light, Brand new bad stuff is still happening. It's still going on. You know, behaviors aren't really changing. And then there's the Louis C.K. thing where suddenly he's pandering to the conservative. That was crazy. I don't even... So, yeah, I'm kind of at a loss and I was, as I was looking at the news and thinking, okay, how am I going to discuss everything that's going on? There's no way I can. All I can do is babble at you in disjointed, half-completed you know, sentences about how I don't understand what's happening. So I'm going to cut myself off with that there. <laughs> There's just no point. Um, and also, because this episode is sequels to books that we've already discussed, um, I, I didn't want to try to tie it into anything that's happening now. That's not really, um, that's not really important. This, this episode is going to be a little bit shorter, and essentially it's going to be uh, summaries of the, the sequels. Um, and how, what I thought about them, and what they covered, and, you know, that you should go get them, um, because these are great authors, so I'm going to wrap up this intro, I have rambled at you guys long enough, um, still getting, getting back into the swing of things with this, um, if you, you know, miss any of the old stuff, um, by the way, let me know, and we can talk about it, you guys know where to find me, I'm on Twitter, I've always told you to come talk to me, some of you do, 
Most of you don't, but come find me. So I'm going to take a quick promo break, and then we will be back, and we will get into our very special sequel supplemental and uh, talk about these kick-ass books that came out last year. All right, we'll be right back, guys. A body falls past the window. Whatever. <laughs> and you put put it down, and you feel like shaky all over. Both your hands are covered. Immediately, peg him as a cogman. So we've known each other for years. It's too much. One of the knives is missing from a garter hilt because it is being pressed to your throat. Damn. We had a. Oh my god. Oh. <laughs> so money from him, huh? We talked about this earlier. He's <laughs> being attacked by the forces of the American Confederacy. <laughs> yeah. Are you constantly checking for traps? <laughs> the Steamrollers Adventure. Podcast is available at rickstories.com or on iTunes. You can also get it at Stitcher and Google Play. Right, so today we are discussing uh, three books uh, Rod Duncan's The Queen of All Crows, which is it's a continuation of the Fall of the Gaslit Empire series that we covered on a previous episode. Um, and this new series, Queen of All Crows, is going to start an entirely new series called The Map of Unknown Things, but it is with the same characters. It's just the further adventures of Elizabeth Barnabas. Um, and then we're also going to be talking about A.J. Hartley's Guardian, which is uh, the third book in the Steeplejack alternative detective series um, with Unglet in an alternative South Africa. And then we're also going to talk about Rachel Kane's uh, Smoke and Iron, which is the fourth book in the Great Library series. Um, that's the, the one um, with the, where the Alexandrian Library um, not only did not fall, but took over the world. Now, um, all of those episodes, like I said, these have all been covered um, in previous episodes. We did, let's see, um, the Gaslit Empire series with Elizabeth Barnabas. That was covered in episode eight. And then... The uh, Steeplejack series, the alternate South Africa with A.J. Hartley, we did that in episode six. And then the um, the Great Library series was covered in episode five. So if you want to know specifics about where, where we're starting from, you'll need to go back to those and listen to those episodes again. I'm not going to do what I usually do, where I go through and do uh, explanations of particular terms and um, events uh, and ideas that are in the books, because I've already done all that for the most part. These books are uh, continuations, again, of what's already happened, so I don't want to bog down with um, a lot of explanations. Go back and listen to those three episodes, um, and I'll know if you do. I'll see the numbers. But uh, those will give you a refresher on uh, what's going on here. So we'll go ahead and start with The Queen of All Crows. That was released in January of 2018. Uh, And essentially, it's taking place... Now, if you remember, and again, if you don't, refresh yourself. uh, The Gaslit Empire um, is running analogous... It's the same... It's roughly the same time as we are in right now. Um, the, the, this book takes place in 2012, so it's very close to our own time, but it's a very different world. Um, and it's very similar to the Victorian era. Um, and again, in this world, the International Patent Office um, runs everything, and they say what technology is allowed out and what is not. 
And so Elizabeth Barnabas comes back into play uh, because airships are disappearing uh, from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And so the patent office needs to find out what's happening and why. Um, But they can't operate in territorial waters of their member nations. So Elizabeth Barnabas uh, is the perfect person to send in to investigate. Now, the reason for this is because, if you remember from the the previous series, her dear friend Julia, who... Um, Julia, who overcame a lot of misogyny and um, uh, a lot of issues to become a lawyer, to go to school to become a lawyer. Julia wanted to be a lawyer. And in that world, that wasn't something that happened. So, not for women, anyway. So, Julia was on one of these airships heading for New York um, that was shot down, which is what propels Elizabeth to... um, jump into this and offer herself up to the patent office as a spy. Now, the other thing that is happening is that from the previous books, her um, her relationship with John Farthing, the patent uh, agent, patent office agent, who had been chasing her and helping her alternatively, um, they finally became involved. Um, and so he's not supposed to do that. Patent office agents are celibate. They can't because... And the reason being, if they have no connections then they are not exploitable. Um, you can't have compromise if you can't be compromised. If you have no connections, you have nothing that binds you to this world except the patent office. Nobody can use anything against you. Um, but Elizabeth and John engage in an affair. And there are things about his job that she does not know and doesn't find out until she presents herself to the patent office uh, as a potential spy to go in and find out what's happening to these ships. Um, So she goes. They accept her. They send her off into uh, the company, which is very analogous to the British East India Company. Uh, It's one of those things. And there is a the mother ship that's floating around in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Elizabeth is sent out there in her guise as a, a man to be the scientific officer. Now, the reason that Julia was on this uh, airship to begin... Oh, and also, yay, airships! <laughs> you all know how much I love airships. I am a huge fan of the airship, and so to finally have these have them show up in this series that's a favorite of mine was really exciting. Um, but the reason that Julia has to do this is because she got married. And <laughs> it's... Which... What happens to her is it was not actually is not was not an uncommon situation. It's happened to women the world over in previous decades and centuries. Uh, Julia was accepted to school to become a lawyer, but as soon as she got married, she became unacceptable, and they were going to kick her out. Um, now, yes, married male students could remain as students, but not married female students. So they are going to Julia and her husband are going to go to New York, where she can continue to study. Uh, things are different there, so that's why she was on the airship to begin with. She was leaving home and Elizabeth and her family and everything she knew to be with her husband and continue to study. So she's on the airship. It gets shot down. Elizabeth goes in. Um, she's been given a code, and all they know is that there's a group out there that is doing this using a really high-powered weapon, but nobody really knows anything for sure. Um, And so there's rumors of sea monsters and this and that. Um, What finally happens, what we find out, is that there is a big 
island nation floating out there. Uh, it's called the Sargasso. They're the Sargassans, uh, Sargasso Sea. So they're floating out there. And it's very similar to, if you remember from uh, the China Mieville episode, it's very similar to the island nation of the Armada that was in the second book, The Scar. It's a lot like that. There are differences, obviously. Um, they're both fascinating worlds that these authors have created. Rob Duncan's done a really good job with it. Um, so it's it's set up a little bit differently, the way that the ships are... Um, whole side up, or they're, I think that's the bottom of the ship, right? <laughs> the bo- they're bottom up um, and roped together with tree uh, ropes, and also trees are used to bind these together. Um, and what they're doing, uh, they're, they, ha- they use condensation for fresh water, but also there's a, and I don't really understand all of it, but they're building it, they, they are able to build up electricity, um, with a system that they've rigged on the undersides of these ships. So it's it's really, really well done. He can ex- he explains it much better in the book. But it's very crafty. It's very creative. And the ship is entirely women. And what happens is the men, any men that they capture, or any when they take over a ship, all men are automatically captive. They're tossed in the brig um, and something bad is going to happen to them. Women are tested to see if they will be kept on the ship or if they have to be executed um, because not all women are going to be trustworthy like women that were sent in as spies. Um, So Elizabeth is tested and tested and tested again. Now, if you remember from the previous book, Tinker, her little friend that um, is with her always, Tinker loves her just unconditionally and he is always with her and following her around. Tinker manages to follow her all the way into the Atlantic Ocean and ends up on Freedom Island with Elizabeth. Um, And so she is left with trying to protect him. And Julia is there. Uh, Julia was especially valuable because of her um, knowledge of the law. But what is happening is... uh, And what we also find out about the Peyton office, I happen to remember this in my notes, is... Another thing that you see uh, that is similar to the scar is the probability casting uh, that they do in that book where they're ca- not casting fortunes in the future, but they're, they're, they're running probability um, probabilities and that this is the way that this is probably going to happen and this is the way this is probably going to happen and they can run you know, many different probabilities to see how the future is going to go. So that is kind of what the patent office is doing and we find out a lot more about them. And again, they're, they're, what they're doing and their control of things is very similar to what we see in the Rachel Kane series that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, so, back to Freedom Island. What we find out is that Freedom Island began when women... That, this ship called the Unicorn was uh, a brothel ship floating in the middle of the ocean where people would come, men would come out, um, gamble, drink have women, and finally, some of the women had had enough, um, took the ship over, killed the men, and so they started moving outward, pirating themselves, uh, building up this nation, building up this island, this floating island in the middle of the ocean, Um, but, and men are kept in as much as repopulation needs to happen. And then they are not kept around any longer. And at the first, we think that maybe they're being killed. What we find out is that 
they're being sold into slavery uh, to fund the nation because the nation needs weapons, and a lot of them are getting from Patagonia. And Patagonia needs men to work the mines, so the men are being sold into slavery. So these women that freed themselves from bondage, from sexual bondage, and from sexual slavery are now have turned the tables and are using men for not... I, it's, it would still be sexual slavery. They're using them for reproductive purposes and then selling them off to Patagonia and other places in order to fund what they are trying to do. Because, um, again, we have the idea that men are um, terrible in the bane of the world and we need to just get rid of them and start all over again. And we're going to come back to that in just a second. Um, now, one of the issues that I had always had, one of the few issues that I had always had with Rod Duncan, with the previous books... Uh, was the lack of color, the distinct lack of color. Um, and some of that can be attributed to it just being <laughs> British, but not necessarily. But he has handily overcome that with this island nation that is just full of women from everywhere, and every walk of life. It's just a plethora of... It, it's, it's diversity island, um, and I'm not saying that in a... Um, in a facetious way, I'm not saying that in a, in a mean way. It is, it's very, it's a lot of women from a lot of different places and a lot of different stories. Um, some good, some bad, a lot of them are terrible. Uh, their ideas may not be, <laughs> may not be the greatest, but uh, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of different women working together. Now, I can't remember off the top of my head if there were any transgender women among them. Elizabeth really doesn't count. She, um, dress as a man for disguise, um, so that doesn't count. But that also goes back to um, one thing that this brought up, and actually Mr. Stocking and I were discussing this um, yesterday, this idea, and it comes up time and again in different places, you know, men, are, men cause all the problems in the world and we just need to get rid of all the men, but what does that mean in the world that we live in now where gender is a much more fluid thing and the way that we are born is not necessarily the person that we should be and that we become. Um, and the way Mr. Stocking put it was anyone that has a certain amount of testosterone in their body, that's it. Those are the ones that need to go, himself included. Um, so if you, if you are a transgender woman, you know, you've been taking your estrogen, you should be okay. If you're a transgender man and you've been taking your testosterone, you're done, you're gone. Um, but there is that question of that, you know, that binary solution of kill all the men that doesn't work and, you know, that would never work. And I've, I've always held the belief that we always divide along a certain kind of line. There's always going to be two sides in every situation. That's just the way it's going to be. You get rid of everyone with testosterone. You're left with everyone with just estrogen. There's going to be something else that's going to split them, and you're going to have one side that's seen to be good and one side that's seen to be bad. That's just how people are. Um, I think that goes to the root of just human nature, and that goes beyond the bounds of sexuality and gender. But the the things that he raises in this book I think are very good. Um Again, we've got this horrific technology um, from this, you know, this ramshackle island nation floating in the middle of the Atlantic, and they are shooting down um, incredibly modern airships. <laughs> just 
And the way that they are doing it, it's a technology that takes it down without exploding the gas bag so that the airships come down, they can loot it, and they can take who they want and uh, take the, you know, the, the salvage that they want. And there's no explosions, and it's, for the most part, it's a relatively, I'm sure it's terrifying for the people that it's happening to, but it's a relatively um, non-deadly way to do it. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, Airships was awesome, and we have the usual theme of technology run amok, which is uh, something we see over and over and over again in the you know in all of these books. So I thought that was I thought it was really well done. I like to see the continuation of Elizabeth's story. Uh, I think she is a fascinating character, and you know especially her relationship with uh, John Farthing. And I know I've talked about before one of the issues that I have with men writing female characters um, is. <laughs> especially cis men writing female characters. It's just, look, there are examples all over Twitter. Um, there are some horrific things that happen, especially when it comes to sex scenes. But he's actually done, he did a really good job. Um, I was very pleased. I was not ooked out in the slightest. There was no awkwardness or uncomfortable feelings reading uh, the passages between Elizabeth and John. So it was it was really well done. And... Like I said, it just brings up the idea of, especially with the two women, um, the cousins, the granddaughters that um, are nominally in charge of Freedom Island, uh, Gwyneth and Sean, and the warful, the warlike one, and the more peaceful one, and the one that turns out to be a murderer, and what way is better? You know, um, because Elizabeth talks about how, you know, the one wants to create war and, you know, you know, nation against nation. And is that better to, you know, is the death toll better or is, you know, the other one's idea, is she going to, the other one wants to compromise and create peace. And little by little, her compromises and, you know, peacemaking will whittle away everything that the nation has. So which, what is better? What is a better choice? And that's when we th talk about Donald Trump notwithstanding, because he's a terrible, terrible president, and there's nothing. But previous presidents, we talk about who was good and who was bad and what kind of compromises they made. And for some of us, we loved Obama, but he made some choices that were not good. But And a lot of presidents have had to do that. World leaders have had to do that. And what choices do you make to keep as many of your people alive as possible and as many as the other people alive as possible, and how far do you go to save lives versus saving your freedom, I guess, is the idea. What is better, war or compromise, you know, when that compromise means eventually losing all of who you are. But war could eventually lead, lead you to lose everything that you have. Um, so this one, I've, this is the second time that I've read it, and I'll probably read it a third time. Um, I have a feeling Elizabeth Barnabas is going to figure heavily in my, my dissertation coming up. Because um, she's, a, she's a fascinating character. She's very well done. Um, and like I said, the ideas that are raised. It's, it's a good continuation. Um, I was a little thrown when I learned that it wasn't, you know, a, a, another book in the Gaslit Empire. That it was the map of unknown things. So it's, like I said, it's, it's a new series. But it's characters that we know and that we love. And... He has stayed true to who they are. So that is Queen of All Crows, Rod Duncan. Again, that was released a year ago, um, and I highly recommend it. And again, the audiobook was amazing. So that is Queen of All Crows. 
and then the next one that we're going to talk about here real quick is the third book, I believe it is the final book in the Steeplejack Alternative Detective series by A.J. Hartley. Uh, this one came out in June of last year. And um, in this third book, Anglette Sutanga is still working for Willinghouse, uh, but the Prime Minister, Prime Minister of Barcelona has been assassinated and Willinghouse, her employer, has been accused of doing the deed, and so, of course, Anglet wants to clear his name, um, but while Willinghouse, you know, while the, the, the Prime Minister's gone and Willinghouse is pulled down, um, there are, <laughs> this is going to be really familiar to you guys, there are far-right and centrist parties who are uh, coalescing under a white supremacist leader, um, and this white supremacist leader is... Uh, cutting back on um, the rights of the city's not-white residents, the, the black and brown-skinned residents. And so Anglette and her family and her friends and the people that she works with are right into right in the middle of what's happening um, in the city, as the city is going to be torn apart by all of this. And so she's got to try to in her young and forceful way, try to figure out what's happening um, and solve the, the, the actual assassination and get Willinghouse out. Now, um, all of the books have been really good. The, the previous two were really, really good. Um, Anglet's a little more grown up in this one, and you can tell it, you can feel it, you can you know read it. She's, she's grown up some, she's seen a lot more, she's learned a lot more. And so... The action, he just did such a good job with the action in this. Um, it's tight, it's well-plotted, it's well-choreographed, um, it's weirdly emotional. And Anglet again, is just, she's a wonderful character, and um, a lot of this is, is striking her, again, on a very personal level. I mean, she's, she's a brown girl in this alternative South Africa, and she's watching this white supremacist government rising up seemingly out of nowhere um even though it's one of those things that was there all along nobody chose to see it um but it was really well done and it's it continues along with the the themes that we saw before um racial injustice um revolution and resistance a a you know this terrible government that needs to be fought and it does tie together really well with the previous two books. Um, there's no bumps. There's no jolts. Uh, you do need to read the previous two books, or you're not gonna you're not gonna understand anything that's happening. But uh, it was so good, and there are very heavy discussions about race relations um, and the way that we handle things as people, and it's. It was it was real wit, well <laughs> well written. Um, there's some amazing speeches in it, and one thing that I was very excited about um, is that Anglet and Daria, the uh, the contentious and lovely Daria, are finally together. <laughs> we finally get to see them together. There, it takes forever to the very end, but they're together, um, and they're open, and they're out, and it's lovely. So we do get some of the some 
LGBT teenage confusion uh, drawn into the mix here. Um, but it, like I said, it was well done. The, the, the one thing about these books that I've always really enjoyed was uh, the action. And he, he knows how to write an action scene. And she is a good heroine. She's a believable heroine. Um, she's smart. She makes mistakes. You know, she learns, and I, I like it when you can see a progression uh, in, not intelligence, but emotional progression and emotional maturation, I guess would be the word. Um, and you can see that with Anglette and the things that she learns about her family and about herself and about what's going on. And, of course, there's the obvious um, parallels to what's happening in America right now and continues to happen with so many of these books that we discuss um, because we're living in fucking Muppets movie right now. Um, I swear to God. Trump is... We have the most... And that's what I don't understand. There's some of the most incompetent criminals and it just keeps... They keep getting away with it. Um, so... It was a really, really good third book. I'd like to see more with this character. Maybe something similar to what Rod Duncan has done. A, a new trilogy, a new series. Uh, a little bit of an older Anglet. Um, you know, more fleshed out relationship with Daria. Uh, maybe Anglet taking more of a, a place in the politics and the government of Barcelona. But it was a, it was a good um, it was a good third act and I think he did a real good job with it. Uh, so, again, I do highly recommend this one as well. This Guardian. It's the third in the Steeplejack Alternative Detective series. came out in June of 2018. Um, so that is it for the first two. And what we're going to do, because the third, the next one is the, the Great Library, and you know I love talking about libraries. So we're going to go ahead and take a break right here and listen to a little bit of music, and then we will be back for our third book and to wrap this shit show up. So I will see you guys in just a little bit. We've just discovered a very rare bit of audio from former Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Let's have a listen. I, Winston Churchill, wholeheartedly believe that the Clockwork Cabaret is the finest example of steampunk radio programming. Never before have I heard anything quite so marvelous, and I doubt I shall ever hear anything like it again. Calpurnia, continue on your journey, broadcasting your marvelous music, and sail on to glory. If you would like to find out more about this program, please check out clockworkcabaret.com or clockworkcabaret.podbean.com or follow us on Twitter at clockworkcabaret. That's C-L-O-C-K-W-R-K Cabaret. Yeah. 
Are you a steampunk? A Victorian goth? A weird west enthusiast? A sky pirate? Or just steam curious? If so, then join the Texas Steampunk Connection as we review and enjoy steampunk books, movies, comics, games, films, and events all over the great state of Texas. Come along with your hosts, Flavio, Erica, and Thax, as we enjoy steampunk adventures and share our discoveries with you. Something, 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 hats, corsets, boots, etiquette, pistachios, teapot, bollocks. Find us on Facebook and fanboytv.com or wherever you find podcasts. <laughs> Goggles, gear, something, something, and always mind your gauges. You are listening to the Steampunk Dollhouse with Librarian Blue Stocking. Alrighty, we are back, and that was Venus Return by Half Cocked, and as usual, you can find that on the free music archive. Link is in the show notes. Okay, so this last final book that we're going to talk about today is the fourth book in the Great Library series by Rachel Kane. Came out in 2018, uh, July of 2018. It's called Smoke and Iron, and it was amazing. Um, it was really good. <laughs> it was really good. It was one of those at the end of it I was dying um, because I really want the next one, and it's not out yet, obviously. I'm guessing this upcoming summer. I'm not sure. So, yeah, it was it was really good. Um, again, this is a one of those series where you really need to listen to the, the previous episode because... Um, the Alexandrian Library never fell. It took over the world. And much like the Peyton Office in the Gaslit Empire books, uh, the Alexandrian Library decides what people will have access to and what they won't. And what we found out in the, the previous series and what causes um, so much trouble is that people keep trying to invent the printing press and the Great Library keeps putting it down because that kind of free exchange of ideas is just anarchy and, you know, that's crazy. So... We have these uh, these young people, um, librarians in training, who find out about the, the the real library in the library and what's happening. Um, so the difference, the biggest difference here um, between front versus the other three books is that this one is not narrated by. Jess solely. Um, we are moving among all of the characters, Kalila, Glyne, Thomas, Dario, all of them. We're moving among characters. Actually, let me verify that to make sure I'm not talking out of my ass. Uh, let's see. Just pull it up here. Um, yeah, we've got Jess, Kalila, Wolf, and Morgan um, is the viewpoints. So it moves between them. Each chapter is uh, one of those four characters. Um, and it does get confusing at some point because if you remember at the end of the third book when Jess and um, his brother traded places, his twin brother, they traded places. Um, so there's some confusion there too because Jess doesn't always know who he is. <laughs> so that gets a little weird as well. Um, but it's it's really good. And it's this isn't the end of it. Um, there's going to be more uh, that's going to happen. But they are battling directly against uh, the Archivist Magister. And um, it becomes one of those where lines are blurred, you know. Um, smugglers are not a bad thing, necessarily. Um, criminals are not necessarily a bad thing either, because are they really criminals? What are they fighting against, you know? 
Um, so we end up with an automaton dragon, which was fucking awesome. And also a ray of Archimedes, uh, which is going to just take out everything. Um, the things that Thomas can invent aren't crazy. Now, Thomas doesn't invent the dragon, but I'm um, pretty sure he could have. So there's some crazy stuff that's going on. And uh, they are they're able to move around to the, the, the different uh, library outposts, the different daughter libraries, and start trying to turn people to their side and show them what is actually happening and what is going on in the library and that... They have not been serving the library all these years. They've been serving these factions within the library. And how free exchange of ideas is not a bad thing. Um, so we learn a lot more. And it's it was really well done. Um, it does, like I said, it gets confusing. The, the back and forth with the different characters, it can get that can get a little confusing, but I actually liked having everybody's viewpoint for once. I thought it was it was interesting to see what's going on because you know Kalila is an incredibly admirable character, but we've only ever seen her from the outside, from Jess's opinion and Jess's point of view. To so to have a fully flushed, fully fleshed out Kalila and see who she is and what she thinks and what she feels. Um, that was that was nice. That was good, and you know just the uh, the beautiful relationship um, between Santi and Wolf. I love them so much, <laughs> and all I want is for them to be happy, and I don't think that they ever will. Um, and you know the 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 relationship between Kalila and um, between Kalila and Dario, I could not remember his name for the life of me, and it's right in front of me, Kalila and Dario. Um, and again, it, it covers the you know the things that we've we've talked about before about forced breeding programs um, and how in their in their attempt to make sure that the obscurists continue to be born, they are essentially breeding them out of existence. They've taken these people and locked them away in towers and forced them to breed, but they are not, they're, they're making weaker and weaker and weaker obscurists. It's not working. Um, pro tip, eugenics doesn't work. So we've got, you know, the eugenics uh, idea and this, the, the biggest, I, th- I think that's why I love these books so much is because of this, the, the idea that knowledge must be controlled, um, that it can't be, that it the knowledge, that that this kind of knowledge and this kind of freedom in the hands of the common man would be a bad thing, um, because it's it's still an idea that we see today, and there is to a certain extent you can understand. There are knowledge needs to be free, but what people do with that knowledge, even if we don't agree with it, it. it they need to be allowed to do it. It's so... It's a hard thing to reconcile in my brain, especially as a librarian, that this 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 free exchange of ideas needs to happen, but even if you don't agree with the way people use it, um, there's a... If you're from Texas, you know who Alex Jones is. We all know who Alex Jones is. He's a terrible human being. Uh, but there's a podcast that I've been listening to lately called Knowledge Fight, and they break down uh, Infowars, uh, usually Alex Jones, sometimes the different people that come on his show, but 
they'll take specific episodes of his and break them down um, and talk about, well, you know, he said this, but this is actually the truth. And he said this, but this is actually what happened. It's an amazing podcast. It, there's, you know, it's it's kind of the similar setup to the dollop. We've got the one who knows everything and the one and the comic relief who and and this it's Dan is the one that knows everything and watches all of the Alex Jones episodes. God love him. I don't know how he does it. Jordan is the comic relief and like I said, I for someone who's who, you know, lives here and knows who Alex Jones is, but I can't bring myself to actually listen to his shows. Listening to Knowledge Fight explains so much about these people and what can happen when you take parts of a story and turn it for your own use. Um, And that's kind of what the kind of the idea, I think, that you see with things like The Great Library in this book or the Peyton Office in uh, Rod Duncan's series um, or even in some future books that we're going to cover that also involves a library. Any of these books that we've talked about or even um, The China Mieville with the governmental secrets, um, keeping things back that they think that people can't handle. Any of these ideas where when you keep things back, you create conspiracy. When you don't let people have knowledge, you create conspiracy. When you just give them dribs and drabs and you create revolution, the, the more you keep back, the more you make people want to know, and it creates these things, and sometimes revolutions are good, and sometimes revolutions are not good. Um... And in the case of Smoke and Iron and the Great Library series, obviously this revolution is good. It needs to happen. Um, but it's something that could have been easily avoided had they just allowed the printing press to come to go forward when it was first invented within the, the continuum of the story. That's where all of these problems came from because a certain group within the group wants to keep hold of knowledge. So I, I guess where my rambling is going here is that the general idea... It's not up to us to decide who gets to know things. Um, Just because we don't, we may not like what they're going to do with the knowledge. What is up to us is how we handle the effects of that dissemination of knowledge. Um, So the library trying to control who learns what and how and when... That doesn't work because it just creates, it's tailor-made to create problems. The better thing is to let the knowledge get out there, to give people the knowledge that they need and, you know, that they want. And when they do the wrong thing with it, course correct. That's not that hard. Um, I don't know. Like I said, my thoughts are really disjointed right now. Um taking three different books and putting them into one episode probably wasn't the best choice, but I wanted to cover all of them and because I, I felt it was important because we've talked about them before and they are all of series that I love so much that I, I wanted to discuss all of them, but each of them wasn't enough to do one full episode. Um, but they're, the ideas in all of them are very similar in that hidden things create problems. <laughs> um, and you know, like in in Guardian, um, you know, it's this this white nationalist party that's rising up, and nobody knows where it came from, but all of a sudden it's in control. And the same thing happened in America with the Trump administration, and all of these racists are everywhere, but all of the racists were always everywhere. 
they just have a louder platform now. They have a bigger platform now. It's not that they were, you know, they were hiding in plain sight. It's not that they just sprang out of nowhere. So it was there all along. Um, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what all I'm trying to <laughs> to say. I'm still trying to gather my thoughts and get back into the podcast um, mode. But this one, it was good. It was really good. Like I said, when I finished it, I was screaming at the book because I... I I, I need to know what happened. So, you know, any book that makes you yell at it because it ends too soon is always a good one. Um, but, and, you know, we love a, a hero story, but I think it's also what I like about it is um, that the heroes and the villains are, with each of these books, the heroes and the villains, it is muddy. Um, there is no clear cut. Who is right and who is wrong, and who is to say who is right and who is wrong? And that also is one thing. Clearly, obviously, the white nationalists in the last book are wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. But um, people that, you know, the, the thieves and the smugglers and the pirates and the poor and the downtrodden and there are gray areas everywhere. We have to stop seeing the world in black and white, and I think that's what all of these books... Um, speak out so clearly, you know, with, with the first one, uh, the Gaslit Empire, but with uh, the Queen of All Crows, um, this idea of men versus women, this age-old idea of men versus women, and that is becoming quickly, very quickly becoming a moot point. It's, it's not a valid argument anymore because gender identity has changed so much, and that is good. We, you know, we, we can stop these idiotic discussions of men versus women and who's better and merp, merp, herp, derp. You know, it's, it's, it's an old and useless and illegitimate. It was never a valid point to begin with. It's completely illegitimate now. Um, it needs to be about people, not about gender, just like we see in the second book where we have this white nationalist party rising up and it shouldn't be about the white bar, you know, citizens of Barcelona or the black and brown citizens of Barcelona. It's about what's best for the city. Um, and having, you know, white nationalists in charge that are curtailing the rights of a majority of the city, that is bad. It should not be... The, the, the best thing for any is city, any nation, is not going to be a raising up of one nationality or one race or one gender over another. We need to work together. And, you know, with Smoke and Iron, it's a little different. They're fight. It's a group of, it's a diverse group of people fighting against this monolithic um, library. But again, that also does go back to Queen of All Crows, where we have this, the, the monolith of the patent office and the things that they are trying to protect. Um, so they all, all of these books do follow along very well with their predecessors. They fall right in line. They are smooth continuations. Um, in the case of uh, Anglet with um, The Guardian, very satisfying conclusion, although I do hope that there are some more. Um, in the case of Queen of All Crows, it is a lovely continuation of an already wonderful trilogy moving into a second trilogy. Uh, it was It's beautifully, very well done. And then with Smoke and Iron... Um, there's going to be five books, I think, total. So this is, again, a perfect continuation of a story that is 
very dear to my heart. So these are all really good. They're really well done. Um, you know, if you want to know the finer points of the stories and the ideas behind them and the individual characters um, and the thoughts, my, my thoughts about each specific one, go back and listen to the previous episodes and um, learn a little bit more about it there. Um, so I guess this episode is really more for the people who have already been listening for a while. Um, but go back, get the books, reread them. Um, listen to the episodes and listen to this one. Get the new books. They are good. They're well done. They fall right in with everything that we like to talk about. And I, I think you'll, I think you'll, you'll find them very exciting. Um, especially in Smoke and Iron. If you find yourself screaming at the book, find me on Twitter and let me know. <laughs> um, but I think that that is just about it for these three lovely books, Queen of All Crows. Uh, from the Map of Unknown Things series by Rod Duncan, Guardian from the Steeplejack series by A.J. Hartley, and Smoke and Iron, Great Library Number 4 by Rachel King. I hope you enjoy them. Do you have foreign engineers building your railroads? No, yao. Foreign bankers holding your debt? No, yao. Foreign gunboats in your harbor? <laughs> then you need Mohammedan and Celeste. Chartered purveyors of bespoke modernities since October 18, 1816. We know Reaper Drone is the new Gatling gun. We know Intermodal Cargo Container is the new Opium Chest. We know the early 21st century is the new late 19th. And we are here to modernificate you against it. So, delay no more. Visit us in the intertubes at www.mohammedanandcelestial.com At Mohammedan and Celestial, when we hear the great powers invoke civilization, we chamber around in our C-96 on your behalf. Once again, I do want to thank you all for coming back and for giving this thing another chance. Um... Now, as I said before, I am going to try to do my best to keep up with a more regular schedule, but no promises. Um, and also, uh, one other thing to explain about that, I have an issue with jumping from project to project, and in the end, this podcast, um, for me, is no different than any of the other 10,000 projects that I have, um, in that I love them all, and so I always come back to my projects, even if it does take me a while. Um, so have faith. Um, I may wander off here and there, but I will always be lurking and waiting somewhere in the corner. Um, you know, I just restarted the eponymous dollhouse after several years of letting that sit in a basket. So I will always be around. Um, there may be some months in between, but keep looking for me and I'll pop up when you expect it. And um, just to toss this out there, if you would like to see a sampling of some of the other projects that were keeping me sane while I was slashing through the last semester of library school, I do have an Etsy store now. Um, and the link is in the show notes. It's called Blue's Junk Shop. Uh, it's, I do better when I keep my hands busy, and stuff started stacking up around here, so I started selling it on Etsy. Um, there's junk journals and... Um, little vignettes or shadow boxes and um, five by seven art cards and things like that so go take a look and as usual if you have a podcast you'd like to promote with us or a song that you would like us to play you can contact me at steampunkdollhouse at gmail.com 
And with that, we're done. We will see you in a few weeks for the much-promised and long-awaited episode, Eve of Zombie Destruction, or Why Nothing Ruins War Like the Rising of the Dead, with Justina Ireland's Dread Nation. in association with the Simply Adorkable Podcast Network and bears a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License. It is written and produced by Elizabeth Hedrick. Production assistance, artwork, and moral support provided by Matt and Josephine Davis. Transmission alerts provided by Library Field Agent Eilish Belrafon Phillips. For more information about the large multitudes of this amazing person, see the link in the show notes. Our intro music is Come On Brenda, It's the 90s for Christ's Sakes by Basic Bitches. Our exit music is Burn the World by Grand Mall. These songs and all other episode music can be found at freemusicarchive.org. All episode sound effects can be found at freesound.org. For complete attribution, see the show notes or visit us at spdhpod.com or simplyadorkable.org. So tired of all the bullshit that you want to impeach a motherfucker, but your Democratic colleagues are chiding you like fucking school teachers about using words like impeach a motherfucker even though he really is a motherfucker and we should think about impeaching that motherfucker? Contact us for assistance at steampunkdollhouse at gmail.com or on Twitter at spdhpod. And finally, we thank you for tuning in. I'll keep reading your rights for as long as you keep listening. Blue stocking out. Upside your head, your job is on the line. The outlook, fantastically vile. Well, I came here to make amends. But my timing is...